Section three of the Bachelors Club by Israel Zangwill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter two The Feudal Angel Caleb Twinkletop nearly took my breath away one foggy February morning about four o'clock by inviting me to dine with him later in the day. I saw that the invitation had slipped out inadvertently, and that he immediately began to bite his lips for the careless way in which they had kept guard, and as I was very anxious to solve the mystery of his private life I hastened to decline, upon which he naturally became so pressing that when I ultimately consented he had no chance of backing out. Yes, there was a mystery in Caleb Twinkletop's life, nay, too. The second mystery was how there came to be a first. For Caleb was a simple, guileless old fellow, innocent as an unborn lamb, who found his sole recreation in playing chess and the harmonium. He divided his time between the Bachelor's Club, the City Chess Club, and the prayer meetings of the Little Bedlamite Brotherhood, for his income was large enough for all these luxuries. He was understood, too, to be a man of family, which is, of course, very different from a family man. Like most ardent devotees of chess, he was a very bad player, and the bachelors used to rally him on being so frequently mated. We never tired of the obvious joke, nor did Caleb. Both sides were certain of the fixity of Caleb's habits, to say nothing of his opinions, and a joke that lacks the sting of truth is a compliment. Caleb was the sort of man who would not marry even if he were a marrying man. He moved in a daily rut which it was impossible to conceive him diverging from. He was the tram-car type of man. Whatever change his soul might be planning, his body would always carry him along the ancient grooves. Had he been married— he would have gone on being married day after day, year after year, all in the same automatic way. But he was not married. We had word of two passing respectable married householders for that, and so there was not a single man in the world or a bachelor in the club of whom we felt more sure of than Caleb, or Colebs, as we called him in our fun. It may be said that, passive as he was, he was the sort of bachelor who would fall an easy prey to the first woman who determined to marry him, even to his own servant, if she should set her cap at him. But the bachelors knew better. Caleb's mind was too busy with chess problems and gambits to be responsive to solicitations or hints from without, or to be aware of any attention less marked than a proposal. Even in the extreme contingency, his fidelity to the club might always be counted upon, and yet there were premature furrows upon Caleb's brow, in strange contrast with the candid, ingenuous pellicle natural to the forehead of an old bachelor. Even his eyes were those of a married man. Nothing could quite extinguish the cherubic twinkle, but at times there was a far-off expression in them, as if posterity were already troubling him with its teething. It was probably only the chestnuts he could not crack, for he was the soul of honor, and if he had stumbled into matrimony, would have been the first to see the impossibility of continuing to drink with us. And yet I felt vaguely that there was a mystery that made no effort to repress my natural sympathy with him, but all I could learn either from himself or from the numerous persons to whom I manifested my sympathy for him was that he lived by himself in a flat with an old and faithful housekeeper, who had been left to him as an heirloom. Though abroad he spent his money as freely as anyone chose to eat or drink at his expense, he would never join in the meal. 
he seemed to be always reserving himself for symbaretic luxuries at home no one had ever been invited to cross the threshold of his lift therefore when caleb met with the accident of inviting me to dine with him you may imagine how eagerly i jumped at the chance though like a man of the world i jumped backwards but caleb had the good sense to hide his chagrin and was all cordiality when i arrived he did not even bring up the problem of how to force black to mate himself in a hundred and twenty-nine moves the animated discussion of which had led to my invitation till after dinner he opened the door himself when i knocked so that my expectations of seeing the faithful attendant were not gratified i began to fear twinkletop would withhold her of malice prepense the mystery commenced to thicken i was on pins and needles to know what manner of woman she was and imparted the desired information as to my state of health as indifferently as if i were speaking of someone else's my eye wandered sympathetically about the room trying to gather hints of her everything was luxurious not to say artistic there were several handsomely framed oil paintings and a number of humorous pen-and-ink drawings in ebony frames representing society dinner scenes restaurants and the crushes at supper buffets in the gilded salons of belgravia there were also some pretty watercolors mainly devoted to the portrayal of picnic parties and filling the room with a suggestion of youth and summer a lithograph over the mantelpiece was the only well-known ecclesiastical gourmand struck by the strictly proper tone of these pictures i examined the canvases the largest of which represented the love feast of the bedlamite brothers a copy of paul veronese's wedding party also had a prominent position while the smallest of all was a ten-year-like domestic interior comprising a peasant playing the spinet while his wife lays the table for supper which is seething in the pot on a hearth of the kind on which crickets chirp depositing my hat on the revolving bookcase which stood by the harmonium i glanced at the backs of the neatly arranged books catching sight of oliver wendell holmes's prose works sawyer's recipes staunton's chess praxis sims how the poor live dyspepsia and how to cure it and hanani for the household but i do not subscribe to the current maxim that you can tell a man's character by the books on his shelves though you may possibly tell it by those he returns i like to draw my conclusion from his premium as a whole what i saw rather terrified me i perceived that caleb was in the hands of a guardian angel with a duster when a man is in the hands of a guardian angel there is always a danger that he will realize some day what a trouble he is to the angel and should the angel be clad in petticoats his pity may pass over into love i felt this and i shivered with ominous foreboding with beating heart and sympathy grown more acute than ever i awaited the arrival of caleb twinkletop's angel stifling as best i could the dread that she would be kept in the background she came at last and dinner with her and i was glad to see them i could barely suppress my joy as my eyes met hers she was a creature of delight when first she gleamed upon my sight i could have sat and looked at her for hours content to let the world go by and the soup grow cold she was literally the ugliest woman i had ever seen never before had i realized the potentialities of ugliness to which old women may attain if they live long enough not mag Marillis herself nor the witches in macbeth could touch her for hideousness she was not only a perfect ugliness of ensemble 
every feature was perfectly ugly. "'Don't you like the soup?' queried my host a shade anxiously as I sat in complacent reverie, dreaming of the frightful old crone who had left the room to fetch the second course. "'No, yes, it's very nice,' I said mechanically, lifting the first spoonful to my lips. "'I hope that unintentional lie will be forgiven me on the judgment day.' I tried to disguise the flavor with pepper and salt, but in vain. Caleb seemed to be looking at me out of the corners of his eyes. "'She's a good old soul,' he said rather irreverently. "'She is like a mother to me and watches over me like a dog.' I did not point out the animal implications of the two metaphors taken together, but silently passed the pepper. "'She is quite a romantic character, you know,' he went on, mechanically accepting the pepper-box. "'Old family retainer. Does the whole work of the flat single-handed. Madly jealous of anybody else interfering. A sort of feudal relic of the time when my people lived in a moated grange in Lincolnshire. Just like Sir Walter Scott, don't you know?' I permitted the dubious statement as to the novelist's residence to pass, and stuck to the sherry, which was magnificent.' till the subject of our discourse whisked away the soup-plates and transformed them into meat-plates. She did not appear to allow her master fish. Perhaps it was Lent, and she a devout Catholic. Many faithful servants do not expect their masters to go to heaven. The kidneys were passable, but unfortunately there was no other guest to pass them to. She is attached to me with the last drop of her blood, he went on. Personally, I should have preferred a more solid method of attachment and at the worst the first drop of blood to the last. But I was silent. To throw all the onus of the conversation upon him was the surest way of making him indiscreet. But he did nothing to recommend his seventy-five lafitte, indeed a divine dream, till the joint arrived and the female retainer departed again. The beef is a little overdone, I am afraid, he said solicitously. I observed that retainers in their zeal would overdo things sometimes. Yes, he assented with an undertone of sadness in his chirrupy accents. But I am glad you like the potatoes. For my part, I preferred them cooked in their skins. All the classical works recommend that method, so I sometimes venture to get one in the streets when my appetite can bear the strain. Unfortunately, baked potatoes are not evergreens. They only flourish in the winter. Cookery is a subject on which Tabitha disagrees with me, and her cookery sides with her. He smiled at this way of putting it, a smile pathetic as it was sweet. It needed not this deeply felt confession to apprise me of the relations of the gentle old chess and harmonium player to his cook. Every look she gave him was charged with solicitude, every movement she made in his service was eloquent with devotion, every word was tremulous with the tender tyranny of love but the marvellous vintages which danced and bubbled in my glass through this strange uncanny dinner softened everything for me, and by the time I was smoking Caleb's aromatic cigar in Caleb's voluptuous armchair, I had come to the Panglossian conclusion that all was for the best in the best of all possible flats. The dangers I had imagined for my good friend Caleb Twinkletop were imaginary. True, I was hungry and the coffee was impossible, but what were these things in comparison with the knowledge that Twinkletop's feudal angel was a hideous crone and a horrible cook? Good wine may need no bush, but it needs something more to make a good dinner. I would not dine with Twinkletop again. A fortnight afterwards I was lounging with a dead cigar in my mouth in the smoking-room of the Bachelor's Club, 
Lazily meditating on the principles of our faith that decorated the walls when I received a telegram, I tore it open feverishly. My heart beat loudly. As my eye darted over the pink paper, I gave a loud cry of agony which woke up the waiters who were sleeping on the premises as usual. I had not seen Twinkletop for a week, and my worst fears were confirmed. The telegram ran as follows. Come at once, in heaven's name, I am marrying. Twinkletop. To dash downstairs three at a time and into a lamp-post was the work of a moment. Recovering myself, I hailed a hansom and crawled towards my unhappy friend. I found him lying in his armchair, smoking and smiling genially. It was the gaiety born of desperation and drink. By his side stood an open champagne bottle. Still I was disappointed to find him so tranquil and fearless at the approach of marriage. "'Thank you for coming, old friend,' he said cheerfully. When I wired you, I was in a nervous mood, due to the reaction and fear of what McGillicuddy would say. Tabitha had just consented to become my wife after a week's obstinate siege. For seven days I have been imploring her to take pity on me and become Tabitha Twinkletop. It has been an anxious time for her, dear old creature. She has, of course, no blood, and was afraid that by marrying me she would tarnish the scutcheon of the Twinkletops. Her love for the family outweighed her love for me. But despair lent me eloquence, and at length she returned a blushing positive. Then the reaction came. I remembered the club and wired for you to break it to them, for you are the only man who has ever known my unhappy secret. His voice faltered with emotion. I did not speak. My breath had not yet had time to come back. He resumed more cheerfully. But now I have dared and done. The nightmare has rolled off my life. A year more, and it would have been too late. My digestion would have been a memory. Now the years of old age lie before me, peaceful and painless. His eyes lit up an ecstatic vision. You, you have proposed to your housekeeper, I gasped. To my flatkeeper, he corrected me. To my cook, to my feudal devotee. Still the same beautiful look of happiness upon his gentle brow. Good old Caleb. Oh, Paul, he went on. If you only knew what my life has been up till now, ever since the unhappy day when the faithful Tabitha was left to me as an heirloom under my aunt's will. Her jealous devotion to me, her pride in me and in the family, and in our descent from the Lairds, or what's the names of Lincolnshire, all this great Scott I could have borne. But her cooking! He put his hand on the fifth button of his waistcoat in tragic silence. The blinds of the room were down as if in anticipation of the marriage, but the bright fire threw flickering shadows on the wainscoted ceiling. One of them fell upon Caleb's face. To me, sitting with unstrung nerves in that weird room, it seemed, despite his bright visions, an omen of his future. "'How can I tell you what I have suffered?' he resumed when he was calmer. She would not let me dine out. It would have been an imputation on her cookery. And who knew what unhealthy things they might give me? I could not eat two dinners. My appetite, though fastidious, is poor. For six months I tried getting my meals surreptitiously from a restaurant, and burnt hers or buried them under the floor. Need I say I nearly got arrested for murder?' "'Why didn't you get rid of her?' "'Paul, oh, I'm surprised at you. You talk idly. 
can a man get rid of even his old pipe or his slippers? I saw I had talked idly. The idea of Caleb's having strength of mind and initiative enough to break with a servant. Why, the dear old fellow would have been polite to the old man of the sea, and asked him if he felt quite comfortable on his back. I soon wearied, he continued, of subterfuge and trickery against the woman whose ideal I was. I tried to live up to her faith in me. His voice broke, and he dashed away a tear. I gave up trying to deceive her, and saw consolation in my wine, and my cigars, and my pictures of banquets, and my treatises on cookery, to say nothing of the delights of chess, the bachelor's club, and even higher fellowship with the little Bedlamite brothers. I bought the autocrat of the breakfast-table, thinking it concerned itself with the pleasures of the matutinal meal. It will come in handy for reading now that my barmecide banquets of the intellect are to be replaced by the real. But why recall the dead unhappy past? It is buried at length, more assuredly than my ancient dinners. Tell the bachelors I'm really made it at last. Again that beautiful smile of ineffable peace overspread Caleb's worn features. His brow began to unfurrow itself, and all the smoothness of cherubic childhood settled again upon his wan features. He rose and opened the harmonium and played some strange celestial chord. "'But this is a fool's mate!' I cried. "'You are mad. You are putting yourself beyond the possibility of ever shaking her off now.' The seraphic smile lit up the eyes again. The marrying musician touched the keys softly, and the haunting notes rose and fell like a prayer. "'You don't understand,' he said. "'When she is my wife, she will allow me to get another cook. "'The dignity of a bride of the heir of the house of Twinkletop "'will not allow her to do her own cooking.' "'He ceased, and his head fell back in mute ecstasy, "'and through the silence of the dim room "'I heard the soaring rhapsodies of the wedding march rise heavenwards. "'So Caleb Twinkletop married his feudal angel, "'and the bachelor's club mourned him more.' and McGillicuddy maltreated his memory upon the mural monument. I dine with the Twinkletops often now. End of section 3